away, some close, some a little bit more distant. And the main place that we're going to get our help, though, is from God's word. The main place we are going to look is to listen to what Peter has written. We're going to give our attention to those words. And kids, I want to think with you for a second. Because though you have your colors and you have your little coloring pages and those sorts of things, I want to thank you because if you look in your bullet and you can see on the very back page, the inside of the back cover, what my original outline was. And it was all about what elders aren't and what elders do and why elders lead. And it was, it was an okay outline. But it wasn't until I started to put the coloring book together that I thought, I think I have a better outline. And so whether you're an adult or whether you're a kid, I'm going to ask that we follow along with the outline that's in the center of the bulletin. Because the main thing that I want everybody to understand is that elders, which is kind of an odd word, not one we use much outside of church, are pastors. But outside of church, pastors aren't really much of a word either that we're very familiar with. And so the real way to think about it is to be able to say that elders are shepherds. Now, kids, that's your first assignment. If you want to give yourself to your coloring pages, your first task is to draw an elder that is taking care of some of those sheep or draw a pastor or draw a shepherd taking care of some of those sheep. And you might ask the question, why is it that Peter is not just talking about people in terms of a role that, you know, about how people think about people. Because you could say that elders are doctors, right? Elders take care of other people, treat them when they're sick. That might be a word that we know a little bit more. Or elders are people who are fixers, right? They see problems and they take care of them. And we could use that kind of language. But I think it's good for us to remember how Peter got his start as a follower of Jesus. Does any... Anybody here who's under 10, remember the story of how Peter became an apostle? What was Peter doing before he was an apostle? Do you remember? He was a fisherman, exactly. And so when Jesus came to Peter and said, Peter, the fisherman, I want you to follow me and I want you to help me. What did he say that Peter was going to become? A fisher of men. What a weird way to say what Peter was going to do. But Peter was going to do exactly what he was familiar with, with fish. He was going to gather them together and he was going to bring them in. What Jesus was asking Peter to do was to do something kind of like that, but with people. Now when Peter is talking all these years later about how he wants these elders to relate to people in the church... He just does the same thing Jesus did. Jesus used an analogy with animals to talk about how people ought to act around other people, and Peter's doing the same thing. He says, what I want the people who we're going to set in place in the church to think about is probably best described by thinking about elders being shepherds. Listen to the way that he says it here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. So I exhort thee, Elders among you, as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as as a partaker in the glory that is be revealed, and here's the thing he tells them to do. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. You see those two words, right? He's talking to the elders, and he tells them to shepherd. Now, I'm not sure how long you had to draw your picture, but 
I want to show you my picture. I figured this would be helpful for you. So, Jace, I think we have what, what all right, there's, there's, you know, and here's my picture. There he is. I thought that was a pretty good shepherd. He has the big fluffy beard, so he feels biblical. He has the shepherd's staff, so we know what he's doing. And there we are. So if you want to show me your picture afterwards while we're eating cake and celebrating, that would be fantastic. But that's, that's my picture. But the main point that I want you to remember from that picture is that what elders are called to do, Keith and Mike, what you are going to be installed to do is to care for the flock of God whom Jesus loves. And while you'd think that would be normal, did you hear the passage that Brian read from the Old Testament, from Ezekiel? That passage was not God coming down and saying to all the people who were taking care of the Israelites, you've done a great job. Oh, I think that you've been wonderful pastors. He said, no. I told you you were supposed to take care of the flock. I told you you were supposed to take care of my people but I have to get you out of the way and I'm going to have to come down and do this job myself because I told you to bind up, to take care of, to watch over and to be diligent for the the maintenance of my sheep, my people. And all you've done is fatten yourselves and enrich yourselves and make your life better at their expense. So from the very beginning, we should be warned. There are dangers in this role. Your voice will become louder. Your sense of influence in the church more important and that can do dangerous things to a person you've known me for a few years and so you know how those things can be dangerous you see what happens inside and i want us to all be aware in the very beginning this isn't that we're going to be putting in mike and keith into a role and automatically they will be holy automatically they will be godly there will be diligence they will need to apply and the main thing i want you to think about in the beginning is that you're here to care for those whom God loves, the way that a shepherd cares for a sheep. But the question is, ultimately then, what is it that's going to make these elders function well? And so the second point that we're going to look at, it used to sound a little bit different. It used to be what elders aren't, or I guess it's technically our first point, what elders aren't, and I I decided to change that a little bit. Because the way that Peter talks about the elders in the church is to let them know that they're never going to have to serve alone. And I find that to be incredibly comforting. I've been the one paid elder who's been consistent over the time that that I've been here, at least. We had another paid elder before that. And yet, during none of my time and during none of Don's time before him was he officially alone. And the same will be true for you. Here's why. First, we are never alone because elders always have other pastors. And if you flip the page and you're filling in some blanks, that's one of the things to write down, is that there will always be other pastors. Look at verse 1 again. He says, so I exhort the elders among you. Right? You see the S on there? He's telling them, you're not alone. And he's also saying about myself, I'm a fellow elder. So we've got the S, and we've got Peter saying, I'm not with you guys right now, but I view you as somebody that is a peer to me. I'm trying to take care of people. You're trying to take care of people. The good news is that no elder ought ever to serve by himself 
or to feel that he has ultimate responsibility for a church all by himself, but that ultimately elders are never alone because there are other pastors with him. But that's not the only thing that he says. He says, ultimately then, or later then, he says in verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In other words, elders aren't alone just because there are other pastors with them, but because the chief pastor, the lead pastor, the head pastor, the one that Peter calls, the chief shepherd is going to be with us as well. Now, those two points may seem kind of obvious. They're probably not new to us. If you've been around with us for a while, you know we try to do things as elders, as a team. We try not to make sure that I can just, particularly because my voice is usually loudest around here, I can just do whatever I want. That's, that's not the way we try to go. And I think most of us are aware that God is watching over our church and that his care for our church is the ultimate thing that we rest in. There's one point, though, that I think is important as well, and that's the third blank that's on your, on your, in your bulletin. And it's that not only are you not alone because there are others who will serve with you and that you have a chief shepherd over you, it's that you have past pastors that have come before you. One of the things that we look for for men that we install in the role of an elder or as a pastor or as a shepherd here at the church is that they're not, Ultimately, you see in verse 5, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, that doesn't mean that to pick new pastors in the church, we have to pick the oldest people so that everybody else would therefore be younger. But it does say this. It does mean that pastors, while they shouldn't be solitary, they shouldn't be primary, they also shouldn't be maybe what we'll call elementary. Keith, you've had men who have shaped you over your life. Some have been in this church, but your history with Christ goes even beyond the beginnings of this church. You have had those who have shaped you over the course of your lives. You just celebrated the legacy that you have in your family, really, of a family of faith. Mike, the same is true for you. You arrived at our church years ago as not an unbeliever, but as a believer. You had been poured into. You have a legacy around you. You have a heritage and a history of faith. And that is important for all of you to know that the men that we're installing today are tested men. They're not the oldest men, but they're experienced men. They're men who we would not view as, we're bringing some of the youngest, the perkiest, the peppiest, the most gifted. No, what we want to make sure is that character, time, and ministry are tested. In other words, we're installing pastors today who have already been taking care of this church. We're just sort of making it official. Now, if you had a little trouble following along, I want you to see my bulletin as well, just in case you're a big note taker. This is what my notes look like now. So pastors aren't alone, primarily because they have other pastors. They have a chief pastor, and they have their past pastors who have shaped and have helped them. Peter continues, though, to say that as elders who are going to shepherd the church, the second point used to be what elders do, but we're going we're gonna to change that a little bit because we're working with this. And what I want you to know is that elders or these pastors, they watch over the church. That's the main thing that they do. So he's already said, 
I'm telling you as the elders, and I'm telling you as a fellow elder, I want you to shepherd the church. Well, the question is, we're not sheep, technically. It's an analogy. But so what ought these men, who are standing in the role kind of as the picture of, of shepherds over the church, what are they supposed to be doing? They're supposed to watch over us. Now, that doesn't mean they're supposed to look down on us, right? doesn't mean they're supposed to be snooty, elevated, looking down on us from their lofty tower. My people! That's, that's not exactly the metaphor. The metaphor is more, how would a shepherd watch over his flock? And Peter gives a series of contrasts. I want you to do it this way, not this way. I want you to do it this way, not this way. This way, not this way. Listen to what they are. Now, the good news is, these are going to come in a little bit the form of a crossword. So if you see that in your bulletin, you can start filling those out. Here's the one thing that might throw you off. I'm going to give you four points, but they don't necessarily match the four of your crossword. So it's not like the first thing I'm going to say is point number one. I don't know how to build a crossword. They do, and that was why it didn't come in these points. But the main thing that he says first exercising this oversight or watching over the church, here's how I want you to do it. Not under compulsion, but willingly. The first question that I'm going to ask to Mike and to Keith today is have you come to this installation willingly and eagerly to serve and to watch over the congregation of Trinity Church? Lily and I were joking that in the the heritage she comes from, pastors are chosen over churches by drawing straws. And whoever gets the short straw becomes the pastor of the church. The difficulty is that that person also has to continue doing most of the things that they do in their life anyway. And so rather than having a cake and punch reception after that ceremony, there is a time of grieving and mourning for the family of the pastor because they're very aware This is going to be a burden on your family. There's a certain sense that over the next few years, we may need to grieve and mourn a little bit with Lily and Sophia. (laughs) Mike and Keith will be called to a hard task. But it's important for you to know and for them to be able to affirm that they've come to this role willingly. Or as we're saying in the bulletin, freely. Which is one of the words that will fit your crossword. It's important that they know that they're not coming and that we know that they're not coming under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. The second contrast that he puts out there is to say, I don't want you to do this for what you can get out of it. I want you to instead do it eagerly, not for shameful gain, but fervently, eagerly. Your word that'll fit in your crossword, by the way, is fervently. It's the biggest one, just so you know. This is important, too, because while there's going to be a bit of a burden, there's, even in a small church like ours, there's a little bit of prestige that comes. In this day, those who led other people could use their positions to manipulate. Do you remember when John the Baptist was talking about Jesus? And he said, when I think of Jesus... I think of somebody whose shoelaces I'm not even worthy to untie. And that may sound like an odd thing to be able to say about somebody. If I was saying, hey, I really respect that guy, that's probably not the normal way I would talk about my respect for him. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. 
You get the picture of it. But that had a particular meaning in the day when John the Baptist said it. And that's because a disciple of any master, a student of any teacher, could be asked to do any task of a slave except for the loosening of the thong of the sandal. Because that would be too dirty, too far beneath any student. They wouldn't have to touch the feet of their, of their teacher. We'll reserve that for the slaves. But any other slave task, you could ask somebody to do. Do you see how important those who were leading and teaching other people were in that day? They could gather their disciples, they could gather their followers, and they could do it for their own shameful gain. They could do it as though they were getting a posse. They could do it as though they were getting their little following and their little servants, people to do their bidding. That's not the way that Mike and Keith have acted in this church, and it's not the way we continue to expect them to act in this church. Instead, what you've known from these men is fervent and eager service. You know how they look to see needs in the church and they've tried to meet those needs. And that's what we commend is that they're coming freely, they're coming fervently, and for the third blank in your crossword, they are coming not, verse 3, domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. In other words, shepherds watch over freely, They watch over fervently, and they watch over visibly. Now, if you don't believe me, or if you might be tempted to think that either Mike or Keith are coming to this role in such a way that they were kind of gunning for the job over the last couple years, trying to see their opportunity sneak in, know what they ought to do, and sort of just fake it, I figured I should speak to you with somebody who has a little bit more history in their lives. Dear Keith, it is an honor and a joy to commend your life as you are set in as an elder. Keith, you are a man of worship, and out of the abundance of your love for the gospel and your Savior, you willingly and joyfully serve God's people for decades by leading the worship team in the church in a corporate worship. But it was more than just song leading. You shepherded and pastored the church with scripture, exhortations, and reminders of the grace and love of God through Christ. Keith, you also have a shepherd's heart. I saw that clearly when you were leading your small group. You carried them on your heart. You felt the weight of their burdens. You rejoiced and you cried with them. You lifted them up in prayer and you loved them with a gentle, caring, and gracious heart. It was the heart of the great shepherd for God's people. And you've done the same with your family. You've been a loving, caring, and faithful husband to Lily and your children. You've loved, cherished, and honored Lily in a way that held up a picture of the gospel and how Christ loves his church. And you've loved your children deeply and reared them in the fear and instruction of the Lord. They love you and the Lord because of the godly investment you and Lily have made into their lives. He goes on to say more, but he ends, May the Lord increase your faithfulness to the Savior you lead and serve with the love, grace, and mercy of our Savior, with deep affection and appreciation, Don DeVries. Mike, of you, Don wrote, when Darren asked me to share a few words about your life, I was eager to do so. You're an honorable man, and to commend you is a joy. Mike, you are first and foremost a lover of the gospel and a lover of truth. I can remember conversations and comments from you that made it clear that you are wonderfully glad that your sins are forgiven and that Jesus' finished work is the fruit of your justification. 
I distinctly remember a phone conversation where your heart for truth and sound doctrine resonated with every question and concern you shared. It has been evident to me that you love the scriptures and have a strong backbone for truth. But Mike, you also have the heart of a loving, caring, gentle, and kind shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. In the recent past, you reached out to me to produce a video for Steve and Barb Semple to honor their many years of marriage. What I saw through that was a man who deeply loved and cared for this couple as they walked through life with you. What I saw in you was an unmistakable heart of a caring shepherd. I had the privilege and honor of officiating your wedding 15 years ago, from a song you wrote for Sophia to your heart's desire to glorify God in every aspect of your marriage. You expressed and demonstrated your deep love, affection, and delight to care for Sophia. That Darren is commending you to be an elder means that your example as a husband and as a father has borne fruit from what you shared before, during, and after your wedding. Oh, you're not perfect. Just ask Sophia. He said it, not me, just so you're aware. But your life at home is an example and worthy to be followed. It commends you to care for God's church with much affection. Done. I'll have copies of those for you a little later on. But the reason I wanted to read those to all of you, and I hope that you guys will cherish those words as time goes on, is to be able to remind us that this isn't something new. We're looking at men with decades of failure, confession, and resolution to continue to walk. We're looking at men with resolution not only to walk faithfully on their own, but to gather others around and behind them and to say, this is the way we're going to go, and we want to keep doing that here. And that's the fourth thing that I want us to see. Especially in this day and age, where the internet has made us experts on the failures of every other church, every other denomination, every other leader. We can find the flaws of others with a quick Google search. It's easy to have our eyes elsewhere, isn't it? But you notice how Peter tells these elders to shepherd? He says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that's among you. Not the other one. Not the ones you'd wish for, maybe. But the ones among you. And that's the fourth word of our crossword, that we are to shepherd, elders are to watch over closely. Not from a distance, but closely. Keith and Mike, there's a church around you that needs to be led, that wants to be loved, and that's eager to follow you. And they're among you. I can't say what will be among you in a year. I can't say where we'll be in five. But we're going to start leading today. We're going to start caring and continue to care today. And these have gathered around you to say yes. We commend you to this role. The last question then is why? Why do we need this? What exactly is important? Oh, and by the way, there's a picture. I'm sorry if you needed to see the crossword. Especially if these things, there it is. There are the words. You can figure those out. All right, so back to our third point of why elders lead. What is it exactly they do? Because essentially it's this. If what these men are is under shepherds, secondary shepherds, and sheep at the exact same time, the main thing they're going to be doing is following Jesus, and the main thing they'll do among us is to help us follow Jesus. And they're going to do that for four reasons. It's interesting that right after saying those who are younger ought to look up to those who are a little bit older, 
And they ought to follow the elders. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Why do we need these men to lead us? It's because we're proud. And pride ruins a good number of things. But it's not just pride that ruins things. He says in verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Doing what? Casting all of your anxieties on him. Because he cares for you. Isn't it odd that those that can be the most proud can also be the most fearful? Or if we didn't want to think about others, isn't it odd that at the times of our life that we're most fr- proud, when we're most arrogant, when we're most kind of lofty over other people, it's usually when there are fears kind of residing right behind us that we haven't dealt with, that we haven't cast on the Lord. And so because we think we have to take care of the things that we're afraid of, we can so easily exalt ourselves to thinking we're the ones who have to fix them. But Peter knows that pride can beset a flock. He knows that fear can beset a flock. He also knows, going on in verse 8, that elders help us to follow Jesus because we're tempted. We're opposed. Things are troubling. They're hard. We read in verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And then he says, after you've suffered a little while. That's the fourth fourth reason we need you. Not only are we proud and fearful, which are our problems from inside, but we are opposed and tempted from outside, and the Lord allows trouble in a way that we can't always understand. And when temptation and trouble come to a church, what does that church need more desperately than anything? It needs to be able to be reminded to follow Jesus in the midst of it. The good news is that we're not alone. In the midst of all of it, the point that I wanted you to remember in the beginning is that you have a cheap shepherd, chief shepherd, not a cheap one. In verse 4, we already read, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. But then at the end of this, Peter reaches back to that text in Ezekiel and says, and God is still helping us to do that today. My favorite word out of that Ezekiel text is the word himself. I myself will come and shepherd my people. I myself will bind up their wounds. I'm going to get in and get my hands dirty And isn't that what Jesus did for us? And isn't it what he continues to do for us today? Read it at the end. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. I didn't show you my one picture. We skipped over it, right, Jace? Can you show that? I think this is my best work, and I want you to be able to see this one. Yeah, I thought it was good, too. That's what you can do when you copy and paste off the Internet. Why is it? See, I I tried to draw Dory one time, and it didn't work out very well for me. If I had said, this is why I need a pastor, you would have looked, and mm, it wouldn't have been very clear. 
But if you know the Finding Nemo or Finding Dory movies, you know a little bit more about why I need a pastor, why I need someone. Because when I'm tempted and when I'm troubled, when I'm proud and when I'm fearful, I'm just like Dory. I forget. And the main thing I forget is what's promised here at the end, that God himself is with me, that God is working. And despite my failures, despite the ways that I'm afraid and other people can just see right through me, God's there and I'm not alone. You might be kind of forgetful like me. And if you are, hey, maybe you want to draw a dory as well. But in your homework, if you didn't quite get to this point, you might be able to draw a little picture. What is it exactly of pride or fear or temptation or trouble that besets you? And what have others helped you when you've been in that spot? To be able to think a little bit more about that, I've asked two couples to come and to share. The way that we're going to do this is that the samples are going to come. They're going to share a, a testimony for us about Mike and Sophia. And the Penics are going to come. And they're going to share a testimony about Keith and, uh, and Lily. After they've shared these testimonies, what I've asked them to do is, Mike and Sophia, I'm going to ask you guys to stand here, and then Keith and Lily, after they've shared, I'm going to ask you to stand here. They're just going to pray quietly with them. Brad and Brian are going to join, and we'll just bow our heads as they're praying for them and asking the Lord to bless them today. But before they do that, can we invite the Semples up and the Penix up to come and share? You could make noise or something if they wanted to. There we go. You're right, you do have to hold this one for a long time, Brad. There we go. Did you, uh, did you have a desire to go first or second? Okay, there we go. <laughs> uh, you know I love the Shifanos when I'm willing to talk in front of the church. So, ironically, I did not know what Darren was going to preach about today, but I made some notes while I was drinking coffee this morning. So, um, I wrote, we came to this church as a young married couple in our late 20s, um, struggling with infertility, coming from a painful church plant that went sour, and um, they took us under their wing. Um, Me and Curtis were just talking a few weeks ago that we're at the point now that the Landers and the Schifanos and other couples that have come and gone, they were in their 40s with young kids, um, and they made time for us. They invited us to their community group. they open their home to us. They open our, their life to us. We watch their kids grow. Um, and we lived a, a lot of life with them. I think we've been here 14 years. 13, 13 years, 14 years. Um, I remember one of the first weeks w- that we were at the church, they already knew that we were trying to get pregnant. And um, Keith said, can we pray for you after church? And so this group crowded around us and just prayed for us. And... I mean, within a year or so, um, three couples that were just struggling with infertility, um, we all saw our first kids be born. Um, They've walked through adoption of Nyla with us and fostering. They've cried with us when Will went home, um, when Lily's mom died. I mean, just death and life and everything in between. Psalm 27, 9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. And I wrote, 
I think so many churches are pervaded with the, with the lie that Jesus makes life easy. Um, but Keith and Lily reminded us again and again that life is hard, um, brutally hard sometimes, but Jesus is worth it. Um, that he's near all the time and looks at us with love. If I'm struggling with kids or my marriage or my own sin, um, it's not odd that Curtis will send maybe Keith a text that gets to Lily um, and she calls me. Maybe it's straight to Lily. I'm not really sure. Um, but she'll gently point me back to our loving Father who offers grace um, and forgiveness. So um, my last thought, they've been pastoring our hearts for years now. Um, and I know they've done the same with so many people in this room. Um, so this next step in eldership just seems fitting and right. And we're just very, very thankful for them. Amen. That's hard to follow. <laughs> Everything that she said, for sure. Um, but yeah, Keith, I've had the opportunity uh, to, uh, man, just to walk out um, my Christian faith with you. Um, I know scripture better because of you. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I, I honestly do not think that, uh, that Jess and I would have the faith to be able to enter into things like adoption and fostering and the ministries that we felt called to. <laughs> uh, um, <clears throat> if it wasn't through uh, your equipping of us, um, and uh, I think it's Ephesians 4, just the, the picture of the, uh, the elders' job to equip the saints. Um, you've done that with so many of us here. I thought about having everyone stand that's been impacted by you and that has been equipped, um, but I'll, I will not do that because <laughs> we'd likely all stand. Um, but yeah, just keep uh, continue doing that. Continue equipping us. Um, you're not doing this alone. You're not being asked to... Uh, to do this just with you and the elders, but to to strengthen us as a body and, um, you know, to equip the saints for the work um, and for the ministry. So thank you, and um, look forward to the next few years, uh, continuing to be under your care. So thank you. Well, as an older couple standing up here and hopefully sharing some truths and lovely things about Mike Chen, who in some ways is like a son to me. I hope I, he doesn't mind that I say that. But what I was thinking of when I thought, well, what can I share? What should I share that would be um, a, a good word picture? And I was thinking of when Peter said, uh, when Jesus said to Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. And again, Jesus asked him, do you love me? And this was important. It had to be repeated, I think, three times. And I think this is a picture I get when I think about Mike. He loves Jesus so much that... He feeds his sheep, and this is literal and spiritual, <laughs> because Mike is a really good, uh, Mike and Sophia both are great uh, hospitality folks, and they love to feed people good food, and I've, I've been, a, been a beneficiary of that many times, but more importantly, uh, Mike especially, and Sophia as well, have um, 
helped others apply the word of God in their lives. When we were in their care group, um, oh, it was rich with, um, well, let's see what the word of God says about that. And um, and so um, I think that's the main thing I want to say is um, keep feeding a sheep. And, um, and I love you. And oh, one other thing, it's really special when you can have Mike Chen as your doctor, too. <laughs> Do you want to say anything on here or just pray? Okay. I want to invite Brian and Brad up. Semples are going to gather over here to pray with the chimps. Penix over here to pray. And as they're praying, we're not going to amplify this, but I just ask that we'd all bow our heads as well and be praying for both couples as this is going on.
Father, we thank you for Keith and for Lily. Father, we thank you for Mike and Sophia. We thank you for the testimonies that we've heard and the testimonies that are echoing in our hearts of the way that they have cared and watched over this church. We thank you, Lord, that our ultimate confidence is not in them. Our ultimate confidence is in you. That you will be the one who watches over us, that empowers them, and that picks them up when they stumble. Father, we also pray for Lily and Sophia in particular. This is, as Christine has described it at times, a vague job description to be the wife of an elder. With a sense of freedom from not having to take these vows, but in the same time, a sense of responsibility, a sense of support, a sense of shared sacrifice. And Father, we pray that as this term begins for these two, that in particular you would watch over Lily and watch over Sophia. Lord, I pray that they would know sweetness in their marriage and in their fellowship with you, strength that would be supernatural, and Lord, a freedom as well to be able to follow and to be blessed as part of a church. Father, we are grateful and ask now for your blessing and impartation of power as they take this oath and receive this charge. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys. Thank you. Brian and Brad are going to stay with me up on the stage. Keith, Mike, here we go. Let's have some authority, gentlemen. (laughs) You're going to share a microphone, so I'll put you in the middle. Keith, Mike, if you'd face us. Sorry you guys get that view of them for a little bit here. We're going to read a series of nine questions. The first one will have a response, if it is your intention, to say, I have. The, uh, the next eight will be answered with the words, "We, I will. Then I'm going to direct a question to you. If you can answer that in the affirmative, the answer will be, we will. Gentlemen, have you come to this installation willingly and eagerly to serve and to watch over the congregation of Trinity Church? Will you pursue, pursue personal intimacy in your relationship with God through the spiritual disciplines so that the power and presence of the Spirit marks your ministry? Will you govern us through the teaching of the Word of God and tending this flock in order that God's purposes for us be fulfilled? Will you help to keep us Godward in all our ministries? Christ-centered in our message and passionate in our affection for God. Will you teach the church to observe all that Christ has commanded to the end, that we will be equipped to do the work of the ministry and to edify, edify ourselves in love? Will you maintain consistently or consistency in what the church has taught throughout its various ministries by appointing only teachers who rightly handle the word of truth. Will you help to maintain a biblical system of checks and balances that guards this church, its ministry, and the integrity of this team? And will you maintain unity of the spirit among the church without partiality by applying the biblical procedures for church discipline 
again, without partiality. And will you provide the church with trustworthy leaders they may follow by appointing only those whom you've prayerfully considered to be qualified to lead by the example of their faith? Would you rise, please? Will you, the congregation of Trinity Church, follow and support these men and this new team so that the common vision of the church, articulated in its mission statement, may be carried out in a spirit of mutual respect and brotherly love? If so, answer, we will. Let's pray together. Father, it is our heart that this morning would have been an encouragement to Mike and to Keith. Lord, I pray that through these testimonies, through reminders of your word, and through the presence of your spirit here with us, that the encouragement that they've received would last. That they would recognize that they can be encouraged because in their weakness, they are strong. That in their failure, there is mercy. And that in the future, there's hope. Father, we also take time now not only in having installed these men, but we take time as well to thank you for Brian, for Stephanie, and for the Fitz family. Lord, we thank you that you have led us through Brian's example, through his preaching, and through our sense of fellowship with him. Thank you for the way that he has been able, Lord, to look back over six years and to see your faithfulness in his life and in our church. And thank you, Lord, for the fact that one of the gifts you've given to us has been in him. And Lord, we pray that this next season would be marked by rest, respite, and a sense of renewed zeal. Lord, we pray that you would re-envision him and Stephanie, that you would equip them for the work that's together, that you would strengthen them as a family and that you would knit him and them deeply into this church, that we would continue to be led by them, to continue to be encouraged by their example, and that we would also receive, as a church, the gift of their needing us. Father, we pray for their refreshment, their encouragement, and Lord, for hope going out into the future. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I ask by your applause that you would welcome these two men into the eldership. (laughs) And I would ask by your continued applause that you would thank Brian and Stephanie and the Fitz family for having served us so faithfully. Thank you, brother. I have a little book for Keith with a letter from Don. The same exact book, but with a letter from Don for you. And a book for you without a letter. Don didn't know you very well. Maybe he did. Maybe he did. <laughs> and lastly, Brian, thank you for serving us. I know you're more of a digital guy. But I thought that perhaps a nice leather-bound one that has a little bit of a, it's a new one by ESV that uh, incorporates church history into the Bible. So I hope that all these things will be encouraging and memorable. So lastly, let me speak on behalf of these men. 
we are grateful to be in a church that does not interrogate its elders. You hold us to a standard. We're grateful for that. But we're also grateful for, particularly in the culture that we're in, where we've been very aware that people can fall a little, fall a lot, and can be easily dissected and canceled out. We're grateful that we exist in a church that hasn't followed that pattern. We're grateful for your support, for your prayers, for your encouragement, sometimes for your blind faith, and for the fact that you don't want to extend that for too long. Thank you that you followed us through some really difficult seasons. And thank you that we get to enjoy this next uh, stretch of time and this next season of ministry together. We, I think I'm speaking for all these men, we're eager for what God's going to do with us and through us. And so, we're grateful. Since you're standing, it seems like it would be nice for one of our elders to lead us in worship a little bit, doesn't it? All right, Keith. All right. Uh, my guess is Keith would like a little bit of help. So if you are part of the worship team, let's join together. And uh, we'll sing a couple songs to close out our time. I get this on, I just wanted to, on behalf of Lily and I and our family, um, thank you guys for your support during this season with my mom's passing. We have felt your prayers. We have been recipients of, of much encouragement and, and, and meals. Um, thank you. It's just been uh, a blessing beyond we could contemplate or imagine being able to to have you guys to walk through this been harder than I thought but uh, yeah so God's our refuge and, and, and he's a refuge through you guys and thank you sincerely Jesus. 